Today on the show, I am speaking to the legendary Neil Donald Walsh about his latest book, The Storm Before the Calm, and his take on what's happening this year of 2012. So stay tuned. Hi, I'm Natalie Ledwell, and this is The Inspiration Show. And today, my very special guest that I have with me today is the amazing Mr. Neil Donald Walsh. Hi, Neil. How are you today? Hello, Natalie. It's lovely to be here with you. Thanks for having me. Now, uh, the reason I have you here today is that we're talking about uh, your latest book, The Storm Before the Calm, which I read and absolutely loved. But uh, before we get into some questions about the book, what I what might ask you to do is just give us a little bit about your background and your history up until now. Well, Natalie, you know, I have... Um had a very interesting life. Yes. <laughs> I spent most of my life in the media, mm-hmm. uh, in radio or television or newspapers or communications arts, public relations and so forth. But to make a long story very short, uh, around my 50th birthday, my whole life fell apart and I had no idea where I was going to go from there. I lost my job. I had a terrible car accident. I broke my neck. Uh, I was wearing a Philadelphia, what they call a Philadelphia collar, a supportive device to keep my head up for a year and a half. I was in physical therapy twice a week for all that time. Uh, and my marriage fell apart. All, everything happened at once is the, is the point I'm making. And I found myself really, really taking the kind of look at life that a lot of people take, I guess, around the age of 50, but perhaps not as dramatically as I did. In fact, I wound up having to live on the street. I fell through the cracks of the social welfare system, and there I was, literally walking the streets with nowhere to live, living outside for an entire year of my life, asking people for a a few coins or perhaps some folding money if they would be so generous so that I could at least get through the day. And that kind of experience, Natalie, will cause, as you can imagine, cause anyone to become very introspective, and it did that with me. I began asking the truly fundamental questions of life, such as what is life really all about? Mm. What are we doing here? Who am I? Why am I here? And, and, and uh, somebody give me some direction, please. And I was, as I said, 50 years old. I was not a young man. So I thought I really had those questions answered, at least, at least to some degree, and that I had solved those problems, at least to some degree, in my life. But there I was, half a century on the planet, and literally starting over from actually below ground zero, not even at ground zero. So I, uh, it, it was a shakeup in my life of gigantic proportions. And from there, I began to ask some very earnest questions of the universe. And and one night, I finally, when I got off the street, I found myself in a little house. I was able to just really work hard at uh, finding a couple of part-time jobs, stringing together a little bit of money, enough to have a small, very humble place to live, but still it was a roof over my head, and I was very grateful. And I began to ask God questions, really. What God, what does it take to make life work? Please, just tell me. I'm, I'm willing to play the game of life. Just give me the rule book, because clearly after a half century, I don't understand what's going on here. And with that, Natalie, I heard a voice, and the voice said to me, do you really want answers to all of these questions, or are you just venting? <laughs> I thought that was kind of an ironic question. I turned around, there was no one there, and I thought, well, now my imagination is playing tricks on me. Except that this voice, which was exterior to me, actually felt there was someone in the room at first, continued talking with me and began answering my questions. I took out a yellow legal pad that I had on the coffee table in front of me, and I began writing down what I was hearing. 
And the questions that I was, uh, the answers that I was getting brought other questions up for me in my mind, Natalie. So I would ask the question, you know, in my head, well, what does that mean? Or how does this work? Or what are you trying to say? And no sooner would I ask the question than another answer would come to me spontaneously and completely in full, like a download. Hmm. The, uh, the, the result of that was I wound up after many hours with many, many pages of handwritten notes. This went on for night after night after night at 4.15, 4.30 in the morning, until after three weeks I had several legal pads full of notes, and that began what has come to be known as the Conversations with God books. One final note on this, I never really intended to write a book, I wasn't trying to write a book, but in the actual experience itself, I was told this will one day become a book. And do you know, Natalie, I sent it to a publisher for no reason other than just to see if there was any validity at all to what was ex- uh, what was happening to me, mm. to what I was receiving, and sure enough, the publisher you know, loved it. They they took what I had uh, uh, put in those legal pad notes and turned it into a book, which wound up on the New York Times bestseller list for two and a half years, for 137 weeks, wound up being translated into 38 languages, and spawned an entire series of books, nine books in all, called Conversations with God. Um, I think I was mentioning to you before how I think in the late 90s I, I got one of the original hard copy versions. I actually don't have the original books left anymore because I've lent them out so many times I've actually lost track of them. Uh, the information in those books is just so amazing and like I said, it absolutely changed my life and the way that I see God it, in a way that I completely understand. But we're, today we're going to talk about the, the storm before the calm. So what, what makes this book different to the Conversations with God series? Well, first of all, it's not a book that, that uh, emerges from the questions I have about life, uh, so much as it's a book that uh, was, I want to say, given to me in a sense, that I was inspired to write, mm. based on fear, the fear that I was feeling really all over the planet and uh, among my wide circle of friends around the world about 2012 and what's going to happen this year and beyond. I just felt this growing sense of deep apprehension. Oh, my gosh, is this really going to be the end of the Mayan calendar? Is this really going to be the end of history as we know it? Is life as we have been living it on the planet doomed forever? And uh, what's to become of us? And what do we need to do? Do we need to start stockpiling food and putting water aside and preparing for ultimate survival? Are we going back to caveman days? What actually is going to happen? And so I posed those questions, really, to God in my conversations with God. I said, you yeah, know, but everybody's wondering. Everybody wants to know. What can I say to people that would serve this moment? Mm. And as a result of that deep, earnest inquiry, I was given the information that is contained in what was called the storm before the calm. This yeah. last final upheaval, what, I, what I've come to call the overhaul of humanity prior to the thousand years of peace, that we've so often heard of from many uh, prognosticators and mystics through the centuries. Yeah. Well, we've actually, we have a segment on this show about what's happening in 2012, and we've discussed some of the crazy prophecies that are out there um, and some of the predictions that are happening. So what do you believe will happen in 2012? Well, as I said just a second ago, we're going through an, an overhaul, what, what I have come to call the overhaul of humanity. Mm. So what's going to happen is, uh, but that's good, not bad. Yes. The word overhaul, the definition of the word overhaul, is not the collapse of, but in fact just the opposite. The rebuilding of, mm. as when we overhaul an engine. We take it apart, piece by piece, put it back together, and we, we, we retool the engine 
to make it work perhaps even more efficiently than ever before. So the overhaul of humanity is not the destruction of humanity, but in fact the rebuilding of humanity's experience upon the earth with the rewriting of humanity's cultural story. And that's really what's going to be happening now in 2012 and beyond. We are going through two particular phenomena, if you will. One, the gradual, and in some cases not so gradual, disassembling of our present way of life. Mm. Our, the, the upheaval that we see in our financial systems, in our, in our whole financial life, really, the upheaval we see in our economic systems more broadly, uh, in our social systems, in our spiritual uh, systems, even in our educational systems. That is, in one sentence, everything is changing, and not altogether in an organized way but sometimes suddenly and abruptly as this overhaul is taking place. Yeah. The second thing that's happening is in response to this overhaul, humanity is beginning to coalesce as it has never done before, to come together more rapidly as it has never done before, and to share ideas more broadly than it has ever done before. Yes. Sharing their ideas about, you know what, if everything's going to collapse and we're going to have to put it back together again in a profoundly more effective and efficient way, what would that way be? And who is going to be deciding it? And we're, we've come upon, Natalie, a great choice point. I think that humanity has now decided, millions of members of humanity have now decided, the putting back together of our systems, the putting back together of our cultural story, will not and should not be done by a handful of people, by those at the so-called top of the pyramid. Mm. This is not a game. We're not returning to a game where 5% of the world's people run control 95% of the world's wealth and resources. Rather, we're going to reconstruct the entire cultural story. It won't happen overnight. It won't happen in a year or two. But across the next decade and a half or so, we're going to reconstruct the entire cultural story such that the story itself reflects the yearnings, the workings, and the earnings of the largest number of people on the planet, a whole different way of living with each other. So right now, we are engaged in creating a global platform on which people from around the world, and we've had already uh, more than a quarter of a million visitors to that platform in just the several months that it's been available, who are coming to that platform and creating, through the rewriting of humanity's new cultural story, an entirely new definition of what it means to be human mm -hmm. in all the areas of our, of our concern, in, 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 in the area of finances, in the area of education, in the area of marriage and sexuality and partnerships and careers and right livelihood, and of course, religion and spirituality, and all the ways that we interact and interconnect. Mm -hmm. So to rewrite that and to make it very clear that we are creating here truly a new human manifesto. My intention a year from now is to, in fact, gather the best and the finest of those ideas, put them together in a book called Humanity's Collective Dream, and then present it to the world's leaders, the world's opinion leaders in media, in religion, in politics, in economics, uh, and uh, in every other area of human endeavor, so that they can see at last, look, this is what human beings envision as our finest effort, as our grandest way of being. Yeah. What can we do to get from where we are to this extraordinary place? Absolutely. And here's the thing, like, you know, I've had conversations like this with Barbara Marks Hubbard, uh, with Jack Canfield, uh, with Don Miguel and Don Jose Ruiz. Um, and I think the influential people uh, in our community are really helping to create this awareness, which, which, like I said, 
we want to get people to really contribute to this conversation um, because, you know, we, we can play a part in that. Now, um, in Chapter 5 in your book, you talk about the most daring thing that humanity could do right now. So what is the most daring thing humanity can do right now? I don't know. What did the book say? I forgot. Um, I think it talks about how we uh, want to go into uh, actually ask ourselves specific questions. Yes. The most daring thing we can do is engage collectively and individually in the process of self-exploration to ask ourselves, finally and at last, seven pressing and persistent questions. Mm. The first of which... I can tell you now, has already raised a lot of eyebrows. And the question simply is this. How is it possible for nearly 7 billion people on this planet to all say and claim they want the same thing? Health, happiness, peace, prosperity, opportunity, joy, love. To all say they want the same thing, and for 7 billion people striving for the same thing, to be unable to get it. Yeah. And not only unable to get it after trying for two or three weeks or two or three months or two or three years, but in fact, after striving for the same thing for thousands of years. How is such a thing possible that after thousands of years we can't create it? Or is it possible that there's just possible, mind you, that there's something that we don't fully understand here about God and about life and about who we are? the understanding of which would change everything. Mm. And if we hold that that might be possible, that maybe there's some data out, some crucial piece of data, that had we had it thousands of years ago, we wouldn't have gone through thousands of years of failure to mm -hmm. create what it is we collectively say we desire and want. Yeah. And so now the search is, what would that data be? And so we ask ourselves fundamental questions behind that. Questions that are not being asked of children or adults in any educational system in the world right now. Who am I? Where am I? Why am I where I am? And what do I intend to do about that? Mm. And when we answer those questions, individually and collectively, we're on our way to discovering new ways of being human, new ways of interacting, new ways of co-creating, and collaboratively producing life on this planet. We have got it in the past that here, Neil, it's really very simple. Life is about get the guy, get the girl, get the car, get the job, get the house, get the office in the corner, get the promotion, get the better job, get the kids, get the grandkids, mm -hmm. get the gray hair, get the retirement watch, get the sickness, and get the hell out. Yeah. And that's the process. And that's what we do. You don't just obey the rules. It's really very simple. The one with the most toys at the end wins. This is how life works. Survival of the fittest and all the rest. This is the cultural story that we've been living on our planet for thousands of years. Yet it has failed to produce the outcome for which we all say we are yearning. Mm. Exactly. Now, through the asking of these seven questions, we can produce a new response, a new answer, a new cultural story that will allow humanity at last to reach its potential. Yeah. I know even having this conversation with you, it just, it, it strikes a chord. And I'm hoping that, that all of you that are watching this video at the moment, if this is striking a chord with you, if you hear some truth in this, if this is really starting to make you think, I want you to, to make sure that you purchase this book and to join the conversation. So, Neil, if people want to do that, where can we send them to do that? 
they can join the conversation at the uh, internet platform that we have put up. It's called theglobalconversation.com. Again, theglobalconversation.com. People go there. As I said, over a quarter of a million folks have already arrived on that location, and they can add their voice. And it's, this is important. This is not just about adding your voice, but in fact, in fact, activating your voice. We also invite people to begin global conversation discussion groups in their communities, on the ground, right in their homes. We want to create a worldwide version of the Occupy movement that will occupy people's homes, actually, and occupy their minds with a new and extraordinary and exciting conversation about ideas, in fact, whose time has come. All the armies of the world cannot stop, as Victor Hugo told us, an idea whose time has come. Yes. A new way to be human is the idea we're talking about. Yeah. Thank you again so much for, for having this conversation with me, Neil, and sharing this information. I really appreciate the time that you're spending with us today. And on behalf of our whole community, thank you so much for doing that. Thank you for inviting us. We appreciate it very much, very, very much. Great. Now, please, everyone, I encourage you to share this video and the information in it by clicking the Twitter and Facebook share, uh, uh, share buttons above. And if you haven't done so already, Make sure that you put your email in the box above there because we'll send you six pre-made My Movies and keep you up to date with all of the upcoming shows. So until next time, remember to live large, choose courageously, and love without limits. We'll see you soon.